Hello to all my friends here at Dream City Church. Man, I am with you today in spirit and heart, even though I'm in Chicago, Illinois, uh, preaching at a sister church of ours. But we have a great service and a great message planned for you here today. We're in week two of our series called The Power of First. Now, last week we talked about the power of loving God first, how it's possible to, you know, serve God and suffer for God and be steadfast for God, all these things, and not love Him first. And the power of what happens when we really love Him first. Well, today I want to talk to you about the power of seeking God first, seeking Him first. And I'll show you my cards early. All I'm going to do today is give you two things that Jesus told us, commanded us really, to seek after in life. And then I'm going to give you the payoff what is promised to you by Jesus himself if you will seek these two things and if you will seek them first. So two quick points and then the payoff. Let's read Jesus' words together. Matthew 6, 33. You read this a moment ago with your campus pastors. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So let's talk first about seeking God's kingdom first. The Greek word for kingdom is the word vasilio, which means rulership or authority. Now, when you were not, and I were back in school, we would put our hand over our hearts and we'd say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. We were pledging our loyalty to a kingdom called the United States of America. And we agreed to operate under its rules and laws as citizens. What God is requesting and requiring of us is that we would, in a sense, place our hand over our heart and pledge our allegiance to His kingdom. To say, Lord, I am willing to function under your rule and your authority and conform to you. And, and I'm willing to do it first. To seek first God's kingdom means that we are going to seek for His answer before we ask anybody else what they think. It means we're going to pursue his perspective on life before we get everybody else's perspective on life. Remember, several years ago, my daughters went to spend the night at their friend's house. And when they came back to my house the following night, one of my daughters said, well, you know, Dad, Susie's dad lets her do this. And Susie's dad lets her do that. And Susie's dad lets her run all over the block, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I said, well, you know, Slow your roll down there, girl. Susie's dad is not your dad. I'm your daddy. And since you live under my domain, you don't have the right to let another daddy govern your life without my consent. Now, gang, look, when you became a Christian, when you were born again, that is born into the family of God, something happened to you. Colossians 1.13 says this, Paul's words, He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. You've been rescued and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. This is such a beautiful verse. You are transferred into the kingdom of, of light from the kingdom of darkness. You are transferred into a kingdom over which God rules. Friends, He rules as a dictator, not a democracy. Democracy democracy is good for the United States of America. It's not good for the kingdom of God. He is not open to competing perspectives on life. Listen, there's two answers to every question in life. God's answer and everybody else's answer. 
and God has spoken without stuttering his answer. And therefore, everybody else's answer is wrong when they disagree with him. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom. Seek first my father's kingdom. Now, what does it mean to seek? Well, to seek something is to go looking for it. It's to search it out. Well, Luke, I don't know the Bible. Seek. Well, Luke, I've never been to Bible school. Seek. Luke, I don't know what God's kingdom perspective is about this issue of life. Search. Man, you Google everything else in life. Yes, it's going to take some time. Yes, it's going to take some effort and energy to find out God's perspective on a certain matter of life. But he says, I want you to seek my kingdom. And I want you to seek my kingdom first. On the front end. Not after you sought social media. Not after you sought Dr. Phil or Oprah's perspective on life. Seek first my kingdom, my rule, my way of life. Now parents, you know how this works. If some of our kids would have listened to us first, they wouldn't be dealing with what they're dealing with today. But because they didn't listen to us on the front end, now they're asking us to bail them out on the back end. And the truth is, many of us wouldn't be dealing with what we are dealing with today had we sought God first. But because He was not consulted with first regarding our decision about our time, our money, our parenting, our relationships, we're now in a mess. And we want God to bail us out. And God often does in His grace. We serve a gracious God. But friends, that's not the relationship He wants. He wants to be sought out on the front end where we say, God, You are the King. You are first place. You made it all. You have infinite wisdom. My wisdom is finite. And because I am part of Your kingdom, something far bigger than me, I will seek your will. I'll seek your way. I'll seek your kingdom. And I'm going to do it first. Let's say that you were an athlete in the Olympics and you won the gold medal. You know, one question they don't ask you is, what is your favorite song so we can play it on the medal stand? No, no. They play the national anthem. Now, you won the gold individually, but you represent something far bigger than you. You represent the United States of America. So they don't play your favorite song. They play the national anthem of the United States. God wants us to be aware that we are a part of something far bigger than us. We were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into His glorious light. And we are now part of a kingdom with a king who rules everything. Gang, He wants you to seek Him first. And if we don't know how he rules on a certain matter of life, he doesn't want us to go to social media or to look at the secular opinion. He wants us to take the time to seek him out. And he promises that those of us who seek him will find him. He's not going to hide his perspective from you if you're really looking for it. But he doesn't want us to bring everybody else's perspective to him. Like he needs a counselor. No, he says, seek first my kingdom. Then he says something else. Now let's talk about seeking first his righteousness. We talked about seeking first his kingdom. What about his righteousness? Well, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that mean, seeking his righteousness? Well, let me give you a definition of righteousness. Righteousness is the standard that God has established 
by which his people are made acceptable to him. I'm going to say it again. Righteousness is the standard that God has established by which his people are made acceptable to him. And God says, I want you to seek what is right based on my standard, not the standards of the society in which you live in. Because God's standards and society's standards are often at odds. What God says is right and what society says is right often don't align. And the more secular our society becomes, well, the less aligned they will be. And we see this all around us. God says, I want you to seek my kingdom. I want you to seek my righteousness and I want you to seek it first. I want you to seek my righteousness on the front end. Why? Because don't miss us now. Doing his righteousness first is the way you practice his rulership. His rulership is his authority. His righteousness is the practice of that authority. And he says, I want you to seek out what I say is right, the right way to live, the right way to think, the the right way to walk and talk. I want you to seek that first. Now, folks, I think you all know this. We are living in a day where we are witnessing the dumbing down of decency in America. In some cases, we as Christians, well, we've just dumbed down right with it. Things we would have never said a few years ago are now okay because of political correctness. So many times people say, well, look at the polls. Everybody else is saying this, and so it must be okay. I don't want to be viewed as being weird or offensive, so I guess I'll just change my vote. I'll change God's standard of righteousness, and I'll adopt the world's standard of righteousness. A couple nights ago, I was watching the Golden Globes Award, and actors and actresses stood on stage and received awards for the most putrid, ungodly, immoral, profane actions and lyrics that you could ever imagine. And then they top it off by saying, well, I want to thank God for this award as though those two things can be used in the same sentence. But because they have a a big name and a lot of popularity, a lot of followers on social media, and a lot of money, we accept it as okay because we have left God's standard of righteousness and accepted a lower standard because of political correctness. Let me explain something about the soul. If you're a follower of Jesus, then this should matter to you. Just as our physical body needs food to function, our soul needs righteousness in order for the soul to become what the soul was redeemed by God to become. What food is to the body, righteousness is to the soul. Without righteousness, the soul starves. But just as you can trick the physical body, well, you can also trick the soul. Let me give you an example. Anybody here like Krispy Kreme donuts? Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil. I mean, when you take those Krispy Kremes home and you put them in the microwave and that sugar gets warm and it starts to melt and they get so soft. Heaven, heaven. This is both a testimony and a confession. Heaven. Now look, you can fill your body with nice sugary sweet donuts so that the body feels so full. But what you have filled your body with is of no nutritional value at all. They're called empty calories. Now, they're enjoyable and they're sweet and they fill you up, but you're actually 
filling your body up with something that makes you worse off because your body can't use those calories. Our soul has been engineered, constructed by God to receive righteousness from God. Our soul feeds on it. But what some believers have done is they fill themselves with unrighteousness, carnality, sin. Call it what you will. Because it's sugary and it smells good and it tastes good and it feels so good going down and it fills them up so that they think their souls are full. They think their souls are okay when it was of no spiritual nutritional value at all. And instead of growing spiritual muscle, they start accumulating spiritual flab. Why? Because his standard of righteousness is no longer feeding their soul. They've allowed a substitute to fill their heart. That's not God's standard of righteousness. When I was a teenager, I was working here at the church and uh, I went and knocked on my door, my dad's door one day and I said, Dad, come on down to the gymnasium. I want you to watch something. And believe it or not, this is going to surprise some of you, but I dunked a basketball. A five foot nine white boy who couldn't jump dunked a basketball. Now, before you get too impressed, they had set up some temporary goals for a junior clinic that were about seven foot in height rather than a 10 foot acceptable standard. Man, I went up on that seven foot goal and I rattled that rim. I was so impressed with myself. My dad's watching all this and he grabbed the basketball and took me over to the accepted standard of 10 feet. And he said, now son, go to town, go for it. Man, I couldn't even touch the bottom of the net. And he said, son, listen, the goal is not to bring the standard down to you. The goal is for you to work hard, to lift weights, to get stronger so you can go up and rise up to the acceptable standard without lowering it down to your standard. And what the world has done is lowered God's standard. And Christians find themselves dunking at the same standard as the world, the lowered standard. You know, and they say, I'm dunking for Jesus. Look at all I'm doing compared to the world. And what God is saying is, don't mess with my standard. I want you to grow in your Christian life to where you can dunk at the standard that I have set for my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom and seek my righteousness. Gang, I'll tell you, we will never experience the God of the Bible when we lower His standard. All we are doing is mimicking the world's standard while using His name. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But thanking Jesus and praising the Lord does not equal seeking first His kingdom or operating under His kingdom standard or rule. It's kind of like a violinist who was doing his very first concert. And when he finished... The crowd stood up and gave him a standing ovation. They were so impressed. Well, as he walked off the stage, he broke down in tears. And the stagehand said, wow, it must be very emotional for you to have all those people standing to their feet and applauding you. And the man said, I'm not crying because I'm happy. I'm crying because I'm sad. And the stagehand said, why are you so sad? Look at the... The crowd is standing to their feet cheering you. This is amazing. He said, well, I'm sad because that while everybody else is standing to their feet and cheering, my violin teacher is sitting down. And I know that by him sitting down, he was not pleased with my performance. 
I got everybody else up on their feet, but the one who invested in me, the one who trained me, the one who saw something in me and developed me, the one who loved me and believed in me, he is not impressed. And if he's not impressed, it doesn't matter that the crowd has given me a standing ovation. Oh, friends, let's play our song for the one who really matters. God wants us to impress him. God wants us to please him by seeking first his kingdom and seeking first his righteousness. And that may not bring applause from the crowd. In fact, with the secularization of our, of our nation and our world, you know, um, you won't get too much applause for seeking God's righteousness first. But if you're walking with God, I mean, if you're sensitive to God's Holy Spirit, when you're seeking first His righteousness and His kingdom, if you're sensitive, you can hear a whisper from the Holy Spirit saying, well done. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. And that's the applause we really want. Isn't that right? You know, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after His righteousness. Now, if you're like me, if I'm hungry, I'm going to find something to eat. When I'm starving, I'm going to make a way out of no way to get something in my belly. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger after his righteousness. Let me ask you, why don't we pursue his righteousness? Well, perhaps we're not hungry enough for it. Maybe we have been duped by our culture to fill our lives with the wrong kind of calories, the wrong kind of stuff, the wrong standard of righteousness so that we have no appetite for his righteousness. It's like the mischievous boys who went into the department store one day and they switched the price tags. They put the expensive tags on the cheap clothes and the cheap tags on the expensive clothes. So when folks saw those expensive tags, they were duped into buying something cheap. And what the enemy has done is he's duped some of us to go after stuff that's cheap, stuff he's made to look expensive, so we're spending a lot of time, a lot of energy on cheap stuff, cheap thrills, cheap people, cheap relationships, because some media mogul has put an expensive price tag on it and made it to look like something it is not. Oh, no, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom, his rule, his way, and seek first his righteousness and his standard. And then he gives us this amazing promise. He gives us this amazing payoff. He says, and all these things will be added unto you. That's a promise from God. Think about this. He says, put me first and I'm going to take care of all the rest. Now, I want you to notice earlier in our reading of this passage, Jesus told us to not do something three times. Verse 25, do not be worried. Verse 31, do not be worried. Verse 34, do not be worried about tomorrow. So what he is saying is, now don't miss this, the antidote to worry and anxiety. Anybody worried here today? Anybody anxious? The antidote to worry and anxiety is the repositioning of God in our lives and making him first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, the reason we are worried is because God is not first. 
Therefore, because God is not first, we have to take care of ourselves, and that's worrisome. You see, God bears no responsibility for our second place location of Him, or our third place location of Him, or our fifth place location of Him. So the antidote to worry and stress is to reposition God and make Him first. Now, we worry about so much. We worry about people, about money, about our health, about circumstances. What is worry? Well, worry is concern on steroids. Worry is where con- uh, concern controls you. Worry is when the issue controls you and tells you if you're going to sleep or not, or have a headache or not, or get an ulcer or not. It's controlling you. That's worry. Concern is never condemned in the Bible. We're human beings. We're going to have a healthy concern that causes us to get stuff done. But worry is where the situation is dictating your well-being. And three times here, Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. When you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, you have repositioned me in your life and you don't have to worry because all these things will be given unto you. And he gives us a couple of examples. In verse 26, he says, for an example, just look at the birds of the air. Anybody here ever seen an ulcerated bird? Anybody ever seen a bird that's burned a hole in their belly because of worry? No, we haven't seen that. How about a nervous bird? Anybody ever seen a nervous bird? A bird that just can't keep still, keep switching all the time, you know, just can't, can't control the twitch? You've never seen that. Jesus says, look, they don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You see, birds don't worry. Birds don't have worm banks. Nor do you see a bird standing on a branch like this. You know, waiting for worms to drop from heaven. How do they get their worms? Well, they seek. They look for worms. God just makes them findable. Because your heavenly Father made worms for the birds to eat, and He makes them findable by the bird without worm banks. Isn't that amazing? Verse 28 says, Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. you never seen a stressed out flower. A flower losing its petals because it's so worried. And Jesus said, Yet I say to you that even Solomon with all his billions could not clothe himself like one of these. Why? Because they've been dressed by your Father in heaven. Then he says this, verse 32, For the Gentiles, now who are the Gentiles? Those are your non-Christian friends. The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. I want you to think for a moment about your non-Christian friends. Okay, got them? Or maybe your carnal Christian friends. Or maybe yourself, whatever works. Look at all the effort they put into getting stuff in life. I got to worry. I got to sweat. I got to fret to get all the stuff done, to get the deal done, because it's all on me. I've got to carry the whole load because it's all on me to get the stuff. But Jesus said, that's not you. You're different. Verse 32, but your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. Several years ago, I took a little road trip with my family back to my hometown of Davenport, Iowa. It's the town where my dad pastored his first church. And when I showed our kids the house I grew up in, it almost brought them to tears. They're like, Dad, 
you were poor. You, you were a poor family. And it is true, when Dad began pastoring in Davenport, we had 70 people in the church, and, you know, they just paid him a few hundred dollars a week. He didn't have much. But you know what? I can't ever recall worrying about how we were going to eat. You see, as kids, we just assumed something. Because we had a father who loved us and cared for us, it was on him to make sure we didn't have to worry about whether or not we were going to eat. I can't ever remember losing sleep worrying about not eating. I can't ever remember, you know, going to the doctor to get high blood pressure pills because we were worried about our food or our clothes or the roof over our head. As far as we were concerned, that was dad's problem, not ours. You see, even in dad's poorness, even in his insufficiency, we knew that our earthly father loved us and that he was ultimately responsible for the well-being of his children. You know what Jesus says? Your heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things. And guess what? He has no poorness problem. He has no limitations. He knows your situation and what you're in need of. And he says, I don't want you to lose sleep over this. I don't want you to get an ulcer over this thing or get sick to your stomach. I want you simply to seek first my kingdom and seek first my righteousness. And I've got it from there. I've got the rest from there. The problem is, most folk don't believe that. And so what do we do? We opt for the Gentile way. And what God says is, well, since you opt for the Gentile way, then let the Gentiles take care of you. Since you opt for the ungodly way and you want to seek their kingdom, their way, their methodology, their righteousness, well, then let them take care of you. You've got it on your own. Now notice the word all. I love this word. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Do you know what he's inviting you to do today? Don't miss this. Relax. Right now, everybody take a deep breath. Just let all that tension and stress go off your shoulder blades. And Relax. You know, if I'd said back to my dad back in Iowa, how am I going to eat tomorrow? Do you know what he would have said back to me? He would have said, don't worry about it, son. Relax. Because I'm going to worry about it. So I don't want you to worry about it. It's like the man one day who said, I have so much to worry about. I'd pay somebody $1,000 to take my worries and just do my worrying for me. A man standing nearby said, I'll take that job. I'll do your worrying for you for $1,000. Well, the man wasn't coming up with the money. And so he said the next day, where's my $1,000? The man said, well, that's the first thing you need to worry about. (laughs) I love that little story. Closing verse, verse 34. Jesus says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now focus in. Please understand, God never condemns planning. We are encouraged throughout the scriptures to plan and set goals and dream for the future. But the Bible does condemn worrying about tomorrow. Now, why is that? Because as long as you're living on planet Earth, you're always going to have to deal with tomorrow. Because tomorrow is always coming. Today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. So if you are worried about tomorrow, then you're going to be worried for the rest of your life because you're never going to run out of tomorrows. 
Jesus said in verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? And don't miss this, because he says, when you get there, I will have already been there. And some of you missed that. You shouldn't worry about tomorrow because when you get there, Jesus says, I will have already been there. A little theology to wrap this talk up. The Bible says God is eternal. And what does that mean? Well, you might say, well, that means he is forever. But it's a little more than that. When Moses asked God, whom shall I say sent me? God said, tell Pharaoh that I am, that I am sent you. Now, that's a curious name. What does that mean? I am that I am. Well, I is a personal pronoun. M is present tense. God was saying, I am the eternal God that exists in the present. Now, think about that. That means that God has no past. God has no future. He lives everywhere at the very same time. Now, we have a hard time fathoming that because we live in time. And time is linear. There is a start to time. There will be an end to time. Time is A to Z. It's 1 to 10. It's start to finish. That's the only way we can relate to time with our finite minds. But that's not where God lives. God lives in the forever right now. So a billion years from now for us is right now for God. A thousand years ago for us is right now for God. By the way, that's why prophecy is so sure. The reason why what the Bible says is going to happen is going to happen is because it's right now in God's reality. We are waiting for things to happen, but God's not waiting for it to happen. For God, it's all right now. So this is beautiful. When you and I have been in heaven a hundred billion years, we will have been in heaven just one second. Because a hundred billion years will mean only one thing right now. Because the Bible says there'll be no day or night which means there's no time measurement, which means there's no time reality, which means everything is right now. So let me just wrap this up. When Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, the reason why you should take him at his word and not worry is because what you're waiting for tomorrow is right now with God. He's already been there. He's already seen that you're going to be okay. And he says, your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. What I'm saying, friends, is he's in charge. And not only is he in charge, the one who is in charge is also your daddy. And if your daddy loves you and cares for you, and if your daddy also is in charge, he's, an, he's infinite, then what did you say you were worried about? What are you concerned about? He says, I've got it. Like the man who was sprinting through the airport. He was so late for his flight. All of a sudden, he smashes right into another person in the airport. They both fall down. The man he smashed into was wearing a pilot's uniform. He said, sir, I'm so sorry. I'm late for my flight. I'm frantic. I'm going to miss it. Well, the man said, sir, which flight are you on? The man told him the flight number. And the pilot looked at him and said, slow down, brother. Chill. Because I'm the pilot of that flight. So you are running yourself scared and frantic about something that can't happen. Because a plane can't go anywhere until I get there. And I'm not there yet. So what do you worry about? Chill out. This man was running frantic until he bumped into the one in charge. 
And once he met the one in charge, he could relax. He could slow down. They wound up walking together and talking together and fellowshipping together because the man was now connected to the one in charge. And he could relax knowing that he was going to be taken care of. God says, if you let me be in charge, if you let me pilot your life, if you will seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, then you can chill out. You can wipe your forehead. You have to run around in a frenzy trying to make stuff happen all the time because you put me first. And when you put me first, my kingdom, my righteousness, my will, my standard, I promise you, I'm going to take care of the rest. What do you say? This next week, let's make this an experiment in putting God first, seeking first his righteousness. Father, I pray you would touch the hearts of your people. Lord, I ask you to do your work through your Holy Spirit in our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for watching this message today. I believe that right now as you're watching this video, God is speaking to your heart. God is speaking to you about a new life, a new future, a new hope. The Bible says that the way we connect with God is we actually call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's almost like taking your cell phone out and making a call to somebody that you really love. You're making the call. And I want to encourage you to make the call to God today. And as you do, he promises to forgive your sins, to adopt you into his family, and to give you a hope and a future. So today, if you are ready to call upon the name of the Lord, would you just close your eyes right now and just sincerely say these words to God. Dear Heavenly Father, just say those words. I ask you today to be the leader of my life, I ask you to forgive me for my sins and adopt me into your family. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. So I give you my heart today. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says if you prayed that prayer, he heard you and he forgave you. So I want to say to you, welcome to the family of God. Go find a great church to be involved in. If you don't have one, come join us here at Dream City, and we'll help you live out the Christian faith and grow closer to Jesus. God bless you all.